Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue his Thursday and Friday message series on the tabernacle. We pick up in the tabernacle where we left off yesterday, which is in the Holy of Holies. And the chief priest, the high priest, he would take off his sandals. He would enter that place barefoot, just like Moses was taught in the presence of God, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And he would go, that chief priest would go past the thick veil into the Holy of Holies. And the hem of his garment was lined with bells, so that as he walked, the bells could be heard from the outside. And the people were afraid. He had to do two jobs in there. He had to offer the blood first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. And the people were afraid that if either his sacrifice for his personal sins was not accepted, he'd be struck dead. If the sacrifice for the people was not accepted by God, he'd be struck dead. So there's a tradition that the high priest had a rope tied around his ankles so that in case the sacrifice for either himself or the people was not accepted and he was struck dead for either reason, that they could pull on the rope and pull out his dead body out of the Holy of Holies. If the sacrifice for the people was not accepted by God, he'd be struck dead. So there's a tradition that the high priest had a rope tied around his ankles so that in case the sacrifice for either himself or the people was not accepted and he was struck dead for either reason, that they could pull on the rope and pull out his dead body out of the Holy of Holies. And so the people attentively listened for the sound of the bells, the sound of the bells, the sound of the bells. As long as we hear the bells, we know God has not struck him dead. And after, and the priest went in there and he first offered the blood of the sacrifice for his own sins, and then he had to offer the blood of the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it's reported that when the people outside heard the bells after he offered the second sacrifice from within the Holy of Holies, and they knew that the high priest had not been struck dead, and the sacrifice had been accepted for himself and for the people, that there was a great shout that went up from among the Jewish people waiting outside. What a wonderful scene to think of the great difference between Those high priests and our great high priests, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those high priests, they had to first offer blood for their own sins and then for the people. That's described in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 through 27. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. I'd be speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this he did once when he offered up himself. The fact that there were so many sacrifices that were continually made every day, every year, all these sacrifices going, the pile of ashes getting higher and higher, so much work 
The priest had to retire at the age of 50. It was hard work to handle all those slaughtered animals, to get them up on the altar, to burn them. Oh, every day the same. Can't you imagine one priest looking to the other and saying, when will this ever end? There's got to be an end to this. This can't go on. And that was right. And it didn't go on. But it all continued until that one sacrifice appeared. That one sacrifice climbed his way up to an altar hill called Calvary. And there that one sacrifice willing, that ultimate sacrifice laid down on a cross. And as those nails were driven into his hands and his feet, he brought an end to all sacrifices. That's the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's described in Hebrews 10.10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So from inside the ark, the law was calling for our judgment because we sinned. From inside this ark, this chest, the law was calling for our eternal destruction in hell. That was the voice, you might think, of the law of the tables of stone coming from inside the chest. It was calling. It was saying judgment because you've sinned. It was saying execution because you've sinned. It was saying destruction because you've sinned. But the blood, the blood on the four corners, on the four horns above the law, above the ark cover, The blood was also crying out. And what was it crying out? The price has been paid. The price for our sins has been paid by the great sacrifice. And the crying out of that blood that the great sacrifice had died for our sins was over the crying out of the law calling for our destruction. And the crying out of that blood over the law was like the blood on the doorpost spoken of in Passover, when it says also about that blood in Exodus twelve thirteen, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When I see the blood, it was all about for God seeing the blood. And we can imagine as God looking down, the, uh, and he sees the blood first, then the law, then the tables of stone. And we can imagine, like at the Passover time, those two cherubim angels. And they're looking there also down, and they're seeing the blood. And they're crying out, just like it was cried out before. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. We can hear those cherubim. We can imagine them seeing the blood and crying out. Because we see the blood, there's peace with God. Because we see the blood, there's shalom. Because we see the blood, man can come here to meet with God. Because we see the blood, man can be safe from the wrath and the judgment of God. We see the blood. We know the great sacrifice has been made. He has died for man's sins. 
And what is that great sacrifice? That great sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins. When I see the blood, the law has no power over us. And later, the inside of that ark, in addition to the law of God, it also became the home to three more items. First, there was a pot full of manna. What's manna? That was the miraculous small round bread. We're told it tasted like coriander seed and like fresh oil. And it fell from heaven every morning, every morning. It was so unique that when it fell down, they didn't know what to call it. So they said, mana, which in Hebrew means, what is it? So, in essence, every time they would go gather it up, they'd say, they, 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 they'd say did, you, did you get the what is it? And he says, yeah, I got, a big, I got a big amount of what is it. And that was the name, mana. That was the only food that for 40 years sustained millions of Jewish people in the desert until the time they entered into the land of Israel. That mana could not be stored. It had to be collected Every day. Otherwise, it putrefied, because this is what's recorded in Exodus 16.20. Some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. But some of the Jewish people did not gather enough for themselves, and some of them gathered more than they needed. And so what did they do? Well, the ones who had too much, they gave to the ones that didn't have enough. And that was recorded in Exodus 16.18. He that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. So just as the Jewish people who gathered more than they needed were to give to those who lacked, that teaches us something. That teaches us that what we gather from God in the morning, in our morning time with God, we're to share with other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to encourage them. But there's more that the mana teaches us. Just as the Jewish people, they had to go out every single morning and gather from God the manna for that day. So that teaches us that every day we are to gather from God. Well, how do we gather from God? By reading his Bible and getting something fresh from God every day. Not relying on what we got yesterday from the Bible, but seeing the Bible as as the words of God. Looking at the Bible and saying, when I open this book, these are words that are coming right from the mouth of God. I can see the mouth of God. I can see the words coming right off of his mouth. That's the Bible. And I live by those words that come from his mouth, come directly from his mouth. And I need today to gather up. So what I'm doing here, why am I reading my Bible every morning? I'm working. I'm looking for what God is going to give to me for today that I can meditate on. This is going to be my real life. This is exactly what Moses taught the people in Deuteronomy 8.3 when he said, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. See what Moses was saying there? Your life, 
Look at Adam. He was created out of the dust, and he was not a living soul until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man has life from God. He says, get that picture in your mind, and get that picture in your mind like mana. And he's saying, he's saying there, this is coming directly from God, and this is an object lesson here. And just like you have to go out every morning and gather this from God and depend on God and even lift up your hands to God and say, oh, God, please give me the bread for today. And then when it comes, oh, God, thank you for the bread you gave me today. That's why it's such a good practice before eating to bow the head and say, thank you for giving me this food. But more important than that is to come to the Bible and say, oh, God, just like those people could not live without this manna that came down from heaven to feed them or they would die, I cannot live unless I get something new for you from you from this Bible. And as I open it here, your words right from your mouth is going to be how I live. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ said that eating the manna to live was symbolic of seeing him, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ all through the Bible, and then living on the Bible as spiritual food. He, he put it this way in John six fifty seven through 58. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, think of that symbolically, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. When we consume the words of the Bible into our hearts, meditate on it, and see them as a see them as a see the Bible's description of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like a blueprint of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeking him. This is what he said, this is bread that makes us live forever. It's the pot of manna was in the chest, the ark, to remind us God provides for our souls. And later, another item was put into the ark, and that was Aaron's rod that miraculously budded with almond blossoms and almonds. That was in the ark. You know, there was a dark time in Israel's history when the people questioned if Moses and Aaron really were the only ones that God had appointed to lead the nation. I mean, the people rose up and they said, well, surely this is not just Moses and Aaron. I mean, we have this person here and that person over there, and they have opinions just as valid. And why shouldn't they be sent by God just like Moses and Aaron? And so God wanted to teach them that he had called Moses and Aaron. So what he did is God said, all right, I want each of the leaders of the 12 tribes to carve their name in their walking rods. And those 12 rods, including Aaron's rod, I wanted placed in the tabernacle overnight. And they did. And the next morning, one rod, Aaron's rod from the the, the tribe of Levi, where Moses was also a member, that one rod Unlike all the others, it budded, it sprouted, there were almond blossoms, there were almonds on this rod. And that rod spoke to the people, don't you ever question the authority of Moses and Aaron that he has raised up. And he commanded, God commanded, I want that rod in the chest, in the ark. That rod speaks to us 
of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, just like people question if Moses and Aaron were really authorized by God as to be the sole leaders of the people, in the same way, many, many people question, is the Lord Jesus Christ, does he have the authority of heaven to say that he's the only way to heaven? But just as Aaron's rod proved God's confirmation, and that's why it was there, there was a confirmation that God gave about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that was? That was the resurrection from the dead. That was God's declaration that the Lord Jesus Christ had authority when he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what it says in Romans 1.4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Then later, There was another item placed in the ark. That was a portion of the first five books of Moses on the covenant. We're not sure exactly what portion it was, but it was a portion on the covenant. The covenants of God are very, very important. They're the promises of God. It was important for Israel to be reminded God has promised. God has made a covenant. God has made a testament. And the promises and the covenants and the testaments of God, those are all the same, are very, very important because we rely on those. We count on God. Keep his covenant. Keep his promise, especially the so-called new covenant, the New Testament, the, the New Testament of salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he referred to in Matthew 26, 28, when he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Then the place where God met with man was over the ark cover. When you look down in the tabernacle and you saw the ark there, there above the chest was the ark cover. So important. That was the place God said right there. With the protection of the cherubim angels, with the blood on each side, speaking peace, and the, and the, and the law of God under the blood, and the reminder of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ with the rod that blossomed, and the pot of manna, the provision, and the reminder of the promises of God right there, God said, right there on that ark cover, I'll meet with you. Now, when you were in the tabernacle and you looked down in the tabernacle and you looked at the floor, you saw something very, very unusual. And it was unusual because there was nothing there. There was no covering for the floor of the tabernacle. That was very unusual because when you looked at the coverings for the walls, when you looked at the ceilings, they were very elaborate coverings. But down, there was no flooring. There was just the desert sand. So really, the flooring was conspicuous by its absence. Now, what message was being sent by the absence of the flooring in the tabernacle? Well, the absence of flooring in the tabernacle, it taught the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that although we are not to be a part of the world— 
we are also not to be secluded from the world. Our lifestyles are to be separate from the world, but our lives are still connected to the world. Feed on the ground. Feed on the untouched ground that teaches us to although we are to be insulated from the world's evil, we are not to be isolated from contact with those in the world. Otherwise, how are we going to help the lost in the world? How are we going to bring the lost the knowledge of God if we are isolated from them, if we are secluded from them? And that was taught by having no flooring in the tabernacle. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in John 17, verses 15 through 18, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, was his prayer. Make them clean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See what he was praying there? He was saying, as they read the word of God, clean their souls. I know they're going to get dirty as they're in the world, but clean them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then he said in verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. No covering on the floor of the tabernacle. He has sent us into the world with a mission. Bring the knowledge of God. Get the lost saved. Tom, that was an interesting truth that the tabernacle had no flooring and how that means that we are to be insulated from the world's influence but not isolated from the world's needs and that was what made Israel God's nation. Thinking of Israel as God's nation in the world, what was it that really made Israel God's people? You know, you couldn't have said it better and I just want to repeat what you just said. Insulated from the world's influence but not isolated from the world's needs. That's God's calling for his people. The world has a system. The system is against God. Every part of this world is in rebellion against God. God wants us to stand strong and to be insulated from the world's influence to walk away from God. But But we are not to, as it says, be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. He wants us not to be isolated from the world's needs. What's the world's greatest need? The world's greatest need is forgiveness of sin, to go to heaven, and to have peace with God. That's the world's greatest needs. And so he wants us not to be isolated from those needs. And so what is it? about Israel that made them the people of God. You know, it's a very, very famous verse. It's, you hear it all the time during Christmas time. But have you ever thought how this Christmas verse really describes what makes the difference between Israel and the other nations? What makes the difference between a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and someone who is lost? Isaiah 7:14 Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel that's it 
that name, Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. What was it about Israel being the people of God? God with them. That's what distinguished them from the other nations. That's what should distinguish us from lost people, the presence of God with us. You know, it's wonderful what God told Moses in Exodus 33:16 when he said, "For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us?" So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What's the one thing we should treasure as the people of God? It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the one thing that we should guard to not grieve him? It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that makes us different? It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you, as the scripture says. We thank God that he has decided to be with us. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the first two days of our new Thursday and Friday series on the Tabernacle this month. We hope that those of you who are located near San Diego, California, can come out and visit our opening of the Tabernacle on September 29th, which is Museum Day, at the Creation and Earth History Museum, in Santee, California. And there you'll be able to meet Tom Cantor on our museum day there on Saturday, September 29th, as well as other great guest speakers like Ray Comfort. And you'll be able to attend the light and sound display of the Tabernacle exhibit. So please join us again as we continue every Thursday and Friday in our new series on the Tabernacle. You can also continue to call us at 1-800-247-3051 for more information on this Tabernacle opening as well as resources and supplies for reaching lost Jewish people. Thank you for listening and join us again next week.